Two weeks ago, on Sunday, October the 18th, my Aunt Louise passed away. She was 88 years old, the last living child of my paternal grandparents. Their three other children, my father, my Uncle Mike, and my Aunt Anna, all died at relatively young ages of cancer. But my aunt, she made it to 88. Her funeral was the following Thursday morning at my home parish, Holy Angels, in Barrington. Her wake was Wednesday night. I decided to stay with my sister and her family in Barrington on Wednesday. Didn't make much sense to drive all the way back to Westerly when I had to go to Barrington the following morning to celebrate the funeral liturgy. So I stayed with my sister. I have a little apartment above the garage there. My nephews used to call it Uncle Ray's Space. <laughs> they knew enough not to infringe on my space <laughs> when I wanted to be quiet. But anyway, I was there Wednesday evening, and we were in the house right after the wake, and I heard a knock on the door of Uncle Ray's Space, and it was my sister. She came in to tell me that our cousin Jay from Georgia had just called to say that our Uncle Joe, who happens to be my mother's brother, had just been taken to the hospital. Well, 20 minutes later, my sister came back and said, Jay just called again, Uncle Joe has died. They were my godparents. I lost both my godparents within the span of four short days. My Aunt Louise's health had been deteriorating for a long time, so her passing was not unexpected. But my Uncle Joe had literally been the picture of health until the Monday before his death, when he was taken to the hospital after passing out in a hardware store. They gave him a battery of tests there. They adjusted the medication he was taking. They told him that they thought he'd be fine, and they sent him home. That was Tuesday. He collapsed on Wednesday night, ironically enough, while routinely taking his blood pressure. He slumped over at the table and never regained consciousness. He was 78. And my doctor wonders why I don't like to have my blood pressure taken. <laughs> you never know. Sooner or later, my brothers and sisters, what happened to my aunt and uncle will happen to each of us. And so in November, toward the end of the liturgical year, the Church gives us two very important days which remind us of the end of our earthly lives. The Solemnity of All Saints, which we celebrate in the Church Universal this weekend, and the Feast of All Souls, November 2nd. That's tomorrow's big day. Since this is the case, I thought it would be good today to review briefly the Catholic Church's teaching on death and judgment. I do this because I think many in the Church are confused. And to some extent, their confusion is understandable. You know, Protestant evangelists who speak about such things as the rapture and the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth before the end of the world, these ministers, these evangelists, have dominated the airwaves for years. Many Catholics have heard them speak. And so they mistakenly think that the Church teaches these 
and similar doctrines when, in fact, the Church does not. The Church's teaching on death and judgment is really quite simple and straightforward. It also is very solidly rooted in sacred scripture, and you can share this with your Protestant friends who think we made it all up. It's rooted solidly in the Bible. And the Catholic Church's teaching on death and judgment begins by recognizing the core truth of our faith, that Jesus Christ suffered, died, and rose from the dead to open the gates of heaven, to give all of us the hope of eternal life. That's the core of our faith. We proclaim it every Sunday and every holy day in the Nicene Creed. As the Catechism puts it in paragraph 1010, because of Christ, not because of our own merits, but because of Christ, Christian death has a positive meaning. We understandably tend to think of death only in negative terms because of its finality here in terms of this life. But it has a positive meaning, through Christ. And then the Catechism quotes Philippians 1, where St. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When we die in Christ, we gain eternal life. And it quotes another passage of Paul where he says, This saying is sure, if we have died with him, with Christ, we shall also live with him. That's really the very same message St. John has for us in today's second reading, where he says, We are God's children now. We are that through baptism. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall be like the risen Christ, for we shall see him as he is. But you see, in order to pass from what we are now to What we shall be, we have to die. And by the way, we only die once. As it says in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 9. Reincarnation is not a Christian teaching. I think there are some Christians who think it is. Please set them straight. It is not. We do not come back to this life as Fido. Or flipper. They're cute, maybe, but we don't come back as either one, or anything else, or anyone else, for that matter. So what exactly happens at death? Well, the Catholic Church believes that, and here I quote the Catechism again, paragraph 1022, each man receives his eternal retribution in his immortal soul, at the very moment of his death, in a particular judgment that refers his life to Christ, either entrance into the blessedness of heaven through a purification or immediately, or immediate and everlasting damnation. At death, in other words, our souls are separated from our bodies. Our bodies go into the ground. We are then judged in a particular judgment, an individual judgment, and our souls go either to heaven, to hell, or to purgatory. Those who go to purgatory pass through it and go to heaven when their purification is complete. This, incidentally, is why we pray for all deceased people who are not canonized saints. If they're canonized saints, we don't pray for them. 
They don't need our prayers. They've already arrived in the kingdom. They pray for us, as I said at the beginning of Mass. And we know they're in heaven, canonized saints, because there have been at least two verified miracles which have been attributed to their heavenly intercession. There's a whole process of getting canonized. Most of us are familiar with it. That's one of the criteria. Two miracles have to be attributed to your intercession in the kingdom. That's the way the church knows, one of the ways the church knows you're there. Now, there are many people in heaven who are not canonized saints. They're saints, but not canonized. Hopefully, some of our relatives and friends are among them. We honor these men and women today, along with the canonized saints, on the feast of all saints. These are the people St. John saw in his vision in today's first reading. Remember what it said in that text. He saw before him a crowd that he couldn't even count. Thank God. That means there's a lot there. He couldn't count them. But we should never, ever presume that our deceased relatives and friends are already there unless they are canonized. Because if we do presume that they're already in heaven and they are, in fact, still in purgatory, we won't pray for them. We won't have masses said for them. And we will be depriving them of the grace they need through masses and prayers and other helps. The grace they need to pass through their purification and get into the kingdom more quickly. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Always pray. My mother was one of the holiest people I ever met. I still pray for her. Still ask for God to take her home into his kingdom. Maybe she's there already. If she is, the grace of those prayers goes to help another soul. But I will not presume. I don't want my mother saying to me when I get there, if I get there, <laughs> why didn't you pray for me, kid? <laughs> Purgatory, by the way, is not a second chance after death. This is something a lot of evangelical Protestants accuse us of believing and teaching. They say, you Catholics think if you don't get it right the first time in this life, you get a second chance after death in purgatory. No! Souls in purgatory are saved. They died in the state of grace, right with God. But they need some final purification before they can come into the presence of the all-holy, all-perfect Lord. And those are the souls we pray for in a special way tomorrow, November 2nd, All Souls Day. Chapter 21 of the book of Revelation says that nothing unclean can enter God's eternal kingdom. That's an important text to remember, especially when you're talking to Protestants who don't believe in purgatory. Nothing impure can enter the kingdom. This means that if we die with even one little itsy-bitsy-teeny-weeny venial sin on our soul, we will need purgatory. Hopefully you now see and understand why the writer of the letter to the Hebrews said in chapter 12, Strive for that holiness without which no one can see the Lord. I think it's safe to say that most people who end up in heaven pass through purgatory. 
Some of you remember Monsignor Strzok. Good, holy Monsignor Strzok. You know what Monsignor used to say? He used to say that all he wanted to do was get into the back door of purgatory. <laughs> Presuming purgatory has a back door. It's an image he was using. Monsignor knew the catechism, and he understood. If he got into that back door, he was someday getting out the front door. And then there was only heaven waiting. The Catholic Church also believes that, as the Apostles' Creed says, Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead at the end of time. Now, when this will be, nobody knows. So please tell your Jehovah's Witness friends to stop trying to figure it out. In fact, aren't they making a movie now? 2012, is that the big date? Well, they've been wrong, but could happen then. But Jesus said, nobody knows. So the implication is, don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Just live for the Lord now. Now here's something many Catholics might not be aware of. According to the teaching of the Church, and here I quote the Catechism, paragraph 675, before Christ's second coming, the Church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. What the trial will be, we don't know, but Revelation has made explicit there will be a trial. It will involve some kind of religious deception, according to the Catechism, orchestrated by the individual referred to in the Bible as the Antichrist. After that final trial, the second coming of the Lord will take place. This passing world as we know it will be brought to an end by God's direct intervention, followed by the resurrection of all the dead and the last judgment. It's at this point that our souls will finally be reunited with our bodies, our resurrected bodies. Then, as it says in Matthew 25, the damned will go to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Purgatory will then cease to exist, since no one else will need to pass through it. That's what we all have to look forward to. And it is something we should look forward to, if we have faith, and are striving each and every day to live those beatitudes that we heard in today's Gospel. Let me now close with this thought. Many of you know Jack Fox, a very faithful parishioner here for many, many years. Jack Fox has a lot of sayings. I think I've heard them all. But one of his best known is this one. Fox says, always make sure of two things. Number one, that you're in the state of grace. And number two, that you have your insurance paid. <laughs> if you do those two things, you'll be ready to take the deep six, as he calls it, whenever the good Lord calls you home. I like that saying. Makes a lot of sense. This is why it's so important to go to confession regularly. And let me conclude with this thought. If you have to pick one of the other of those two things, my personal advice is forget about the insurance. 
just make sure you're in the state of grace. Because that is infinitely, and I do mean infinitely, more important.